Ну, молодежь, dear youth, I think we've all had a great day today, have we not? I think we've got to know each other a little bit better. I've got to know each one of you specifically because of the station I had and the um, talks we had there. And it was very interesting to see how everybody interacts together and how each team would work or not work together, how you'd help each other. Um, it was a very good day for me to see how you guys all interact. And today I'd like to just talk about a really simple principle, but yet a really life-changing principle. Uh, I'd like you guys to today just put aside all the thoughts of the fun we had today um, and just think about for the next couple of minutes, for the next hour, about what you're going to hear today. Чтобы вы были просто внимательны, и сердце ваше было открыто к тому слову, которое сегодня будет сказано. I'd like to pose a couple of questions. And first question is, who would like to have a good life? Lift up your hand. Who would like to have a good life? A blessed life. Who would like to have a bad life? Or a cursed life? I don't see anybody here that would have, like to have a bad life or a, if we could say, a cursed life. Every single person here would like to have a good life. And what does that mean? What does that look like? I'd like to hear from you today a little bit. What do you think is a good life, a blessed life? What are some characteristics of a good life? Какие признаки хорошей жизни, благословенной жизни? Anybody? Finances. No sickness. Happiness, healthy family. Who said that? Oh, that's deep. Thank you. Suffering for the Lord. Okay. Anything else? What's what characterizes a good life? Come on. Success. Thank you. Close relationship with God. That's my son, by the way. <laughs> uh, Anybody else? What characterizes a good life? Each one of us in our minds, we have, we perceive what is a good life because we all we are all striving for that. We're all striving to have a good life, a blessed life. Isn't that so? Subconsciously, but we all want to be blessed. Who wants to have a a bad life filled with troubles, filled with uh, maybe curses? Now let's flip the side and say, what does a bad life look like? Any suggestions? What does a bad life look like? A, maybe even we say a cursed life. What does that look like? What are some characteristics of a bad life? Life without God. Okay. What's that? Without God? Okay. Sickness is bad, yes. Loveless. Addictions. Addictions, yes. Unhappy. Unhappy. Living with no purpose. Living with no purpose. Selfish ambitions. Being lukewarm. Being lukewarm is a bad life, right? Okay. So I see that each one of you has some kind of understanding of what is a good life and what is a bad life to the level that we understand today, to the level that we have grown spiritually, 
we have different answers. Some people feel that that's our success in life, that's happiness, that's uh, no sickness, that's a good life. Right? Some people say that a bad life is to be without God. Some people say that a bad life is to have riches. A bad life without God, that's a bad life. So knowing whatever we know, how do we get a good life? How do we have a good life? Вы сегодня все тут молодые, красивые, сильные. И вы не думаете часто о том, что ваши решения, that your decisions today are going to have some kind of effect in the future. So understanding that we need to have a good life, and today we kind of talked about what does that look like, how do we attain that? And the even more important question that I would like to leave with you today is who is responsible for you to have a good life? Who is responsible for you to have a blessed life? Is it, like we heard yesterday, your surroundings? Well, if I have a good family, if I have a good church, if I have a good youth pastor, if I have a good pastor, then I will have a good life. Or if I have a good mom and dad, if I have money, what determines whether you will have a good life? Who determines that? Yourself. Yourself? That is correct. Each one of you today has the power and the authority given to you by the Creator who created each one of you, each one of us, the power to decide your future. That is a grave responsibility. That many of you don't have the wisdom to properly make the decisions for your future. But however, whether you have a good life or a bad life is dependent 100% on you. Nobody else. Do you guys hear me today? It is dependent 100% on you. And looking at youth today, and I have the privilege of being older than any of you youth, and married, have children, have youth here today, I have a little bit more on you guys, if I could say that. I have some experience. I have lived my youth days. I had made certain decisions in my career, in my business, and I today bear those fruits, whether they were good decisions or bad decisions. Today I stand before you to tell you that if you choose correctly, you will have a good life. You will have a blessed life. And you will have... A good life that today you don't even understand what that actually is. A lot of things that you said today actually isn't a good life. That does not characterize a good life. Sometimes God gives you sickness to bring you into a place to bring you into, into that good life. Sometimes God gives, does not give you riches to bring you into that good life. Because as people said today, a good life is to have fellowship 
with Christ, with God. The choice is yours. And looking at you, and looking at many youth, your actions and your words are completely different. Because we're here today, and we're hearing this topic, and we're in a youth camp, let's say we're in our best behavior. But when you go home, when you're in your comfort zones, in your rooms, with your friends, what choices do you make then? Do you make the choice to self-indulge? Or do you make the choice to self-sacrifice? You know, it's so good just to relax and go on the... Go on my phone, go on social media, you know, take a look at what's going on, just to turn off and, you know, spend that time. What decisions do you make every day will determine your future? It isn't just a decision to say, Lord, I'd like to serve you, I want water baptism, and I'm now a member of the church, and I'm going to have a great life. That's the first step, yes. But it is making that decision every day you wake up in that morning you make a decision that i'm going to turn away from that i'm going to turn towards god i'm going to turn away from that and i'm going to turn towards good i'm going to turn away from evil i'm going to turn towards god our topic is born to serve and whether you know it or not but this is the design of our creator that each one of us are born to serve. I'd like to open up Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Romans 6, 16. Whether you know it or not, today you are serving something or someone. Whether you know it, today you are serving something or someone. And let's read Romans 6, 16. Know ye not that whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. There's two choices. You have inadvertently already picked who you're serving. You are either serving yourself or you're serving God. Righteousness. You're serving sin. You're serving yourself. Your desires, self-indulgence, or you're serving today others. You're serving as self-sacrifice. And our goal today, or on this camp, is that each one of you would make that decision, conscious decision, to serve Christ to serve him daily, to serve him out of a clean desire. And what does that look like? You guys all know. You guys could stand up here and tell me what does that look like. That looks like serving one another, does it not? Serving God is serving one another. But do we do that is the question. Do we, first of all, think about our career? We think about our future spouses, all these decisions that lie before us. We think about that first, and then we think about serving God. 
do you today pick a career or pick a job that, you know what, I'm going to make a bunch of money, so that's more important to me than missing a couple of services. I know we have services on Tuesday or Wednesday, but i got to work. I need to work. If you structure your life that way, you will have a bad life. If you structure your life around serving God, around being part of the church, around serving within the church, you will have a good life. And I'm telling that not as a theory, I'm telling that out of personal experience. God blesses those that self-sacrifice. Um, I have a relative who owned his own business and <clears throat> used to go to church a lot and then all of a sudden the business got really important to him. He kind of fell away a little bit from the church and I would be asking him, how's, how's the church? Oh, the church's got big problems and how often you go out? I got, I'm so busy at work. And he's always busy and he has always got work and he can never make services. And so it happened that one day uh, he was going to grab some stuff from work and, and uh, two people were stealing stuff in the backyard and one of them, he saw one, the other guy hit him in the head and crushed the skull. So he almost died. He was in a coma for uh, probably a week, week and a half and family didn't know what was going on. We prayed for him in our church and God healed him, gave him life. And we were just down there uh, this last weekend and asked him, how's it going? How's, how's life? He goes, you know what? I found that all of that time, I just completely threw away. Completely threw away at work. My kids were growing up. I missed so much. I went, I've moved to a small church now, and we're going to that church. And they have Bible studies, and they have uh, prayer services. I'm like, well, that's great, so do you go? He goes, you know what? I don't miss a single service. And he goes, and I don't even do this. I don't work, 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 work. Six o'clock, boom, I'm home, grab something to eat, and boom, I'm at church. He goes, I even stop early. I stop early, I go home, I relax, and I prepare myself for service, to hear God's word. And he goes, it's such a blessing. It is such a blessing. And I would just encourage each one of you today, to do what Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says. If you have not done this, that you would do this today as young people. Because you are so blessed to have this sort of instruction that I'm sure you get in your church as well. But the decision is up to each one of you to follow it or not. Romans 12, 1. Romans 12, 1. And I'm sure you know this spot probably. Neizust. And I personally like it better in Russian, but we'll read in English. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Итак, умоляю вас, братья милосердием Божьим, представьте тела ваши в жертву живую, святую, благоугодную Богу для разумного служения вашего. And also Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, Verse 23, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. If you would like to follow Jesus, 
If you would like to have a good life, take these words and memorize them if you do not have them memorized to this day. And he said unto them all, to his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You must decide to do this to have a good life. Deny yourself those fleshly desires that each one of us have. I've been a Christian for a long time, but every day I still have to make the decision to turn away from sin and turn to God. And when you make that decision, then He comes and He gives you grace. He gives you the power to be a witness to those around you. He gives you a power to be strong in faith, to grow in Christ, and take up your cross and follow Him. The cross, many people explain it in many different ways, but the biggest cross that you have is you yourself. That is the biggest burden that you have to carry, is you yourself. You have to pick that up. You have to give that to God and follow Him. You have to follow Him. And I would just today encourage each one of you that you would take up the call. We are born to serve. And I would ask that you would choose to serve Christ and you will have a good life. May God bless each one of you. Дорогая молодежь, я очень рад быть на этом месте. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited what God's going to do tonight in our hearts. And I'm excited what he's done already in many hearts. And uh, I have a scripture in my heart that I want to read. And if you have your Bible, I'd like you to open to 2 Timothy 2.21. And put your finger there and get ready for it. Мы уже очень-очень много слышали. We've heard a lot already in the last few days. Some people just arrived today. So I want to just summarize briefly. Yesterday, Brother Eric told us that there is one thing that can stop the power of God's word and the power of God in your life. That's the condition of your heart, of your soil. You are the only one that can stop God in your life. That's quite a statement. It's quite a profound statement. Brother Dennis told us that we need to have a desire, a huge desire to be men and women of integrity and not just think that way at camp, but so that it settles and drops down into our life so it becomes the foundation of how we think, how we live, and how we serve. And today we heard, today we heard that it's not just preparing ourselves, it's not just having a great desire, it's also making a choice a conscious choice, a regular conscious choice to turn from what I know is wrong and turn to what I know is right. <clears throat> and we could just shut the Bible and go home. You guys know everything that I'm going to tell you today. Really, you do. You've heard this over and over and over and over again. But I know, I know that God's Word has a way of working itself into all of the nooks and crannies of our lives and showing us where we need to change, what we need to do. Um, I was actually surprised at how many Patagonia shirts were walking around here when, we arrived, when I arrived. I thought, wow, that's a neat, I've seen that somewhere before. And you know, I 
started to think, I think, you know, nothing, nothing that we do in life, especially when we prepare prayerfully, <clears throat> is just because we like it. I started to read about Patagonia. I thought, hmm, must be something in this Patagonia thing. And you know that Patagonia was started by a man named Yvonne. And it's French, so Chouinard or Chouillard. <laughs> this is a man who, in, when he was a, a young kid, he liked falconry. So he, worked, he was in a falconry club where the older men taught them how, this is in the early 50s, how to uh, climb up cliffs and then rappel down. And what they do on the cliffs, they'd catch falcons and they would train them and they'd work there. I'm not familiar with falconry, but they had to climb on cliffs somehow. <clears throat> and this young man, Yvonne, he, he thought, wow, this is pretty neat. And they started climbing cliffs. They thought, wow, you know, we can reach cliffs with these ropes. And he came up with an ingenious idea. Any of you climbers, I don't know if anybody climbs here. He came up with a piton, it's called. They call it a piton. Basically, it's a, they drive a spike into a crack in the stone, and they drive a spike in with a loop on so that they can click on with the rope or fasten with a rope, and they can safely climb to the next level. What this did for mountain climbing is it opened the world for mountain climbers. They started at looking at mountains like Patagonia, which is in South America, which is one of the most beautiful mountain ranges. It has everything from rainforests to uh, tropical areas to ice, uh, um, ice packs, ice fields, and it was no easy thing to um, take on just without any other stuff. And this Ivani started making these uh, pitons out of his garage, and then after a while he started to mass produce them, and it came to the point where he needed new shirts. He thought he would do something else in climbing, and this just transformed the way he lived. And it became a business that, uh, that we all know today. <clears throat> it's interesting that a discovery changed the face of a sport. Absolutely. And a lot of people who are mountain climbing know this name. I never knew that before. I had no idea. He changed the way people climb and what they look at. Say, wow, I'm going to climb that. They opened the ability or the, the possibility to even approach that mountain. Tonight's lesson, tonight what God has placed on my heart, what does it take for you, what does it take for me to become a vessel of God? Something that God can use. Something that God can use to bless other people. And it's no small thing. If you look at a person who is being used by God, you think, wow, look at that. It didn't happen overnight. There is a certain way to go about it. There are certain steps that happen in order for a person to be used by God. God will not just use anybody, and he will not just use anybody for great things. How many of you want to be used by God? I, I, all of us. Are you kidding? To be in the hand of the Almighty and being used by him, I don't think there's any greater pleasure or any greater place to be. 2 Timothy 2.21. I'm not accustomed to this Bible. <laughs> okay, here we go. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. This is the goal of absolutely every person who has set their path on following Jesus Christ, to be useful for 
every good work, to be set apart and holy. And at the right hand or the left hand of God, when God needs something done, he says, hey, whoever your name is, it's time to do this or it's time to do that. And to become a vessel of God, it's no small task. It's no small task. <clears throat> the first step to making a vessel is finding some clay. And uh, you see the picture there. I, it's a little bit um, funny angled there. It doesn't look too pretty. And I don't think I've ever seen clay, especially raw clay, that does look pretty. Um, <clears throat> it is found in the most, uh, most unbecoming places. Nobody goes out of their way during their day and say, hey, I'm going to go check out this clay. Because it's usually at the bottom of a, a river somewhere or in a bog or in a marsh. It's not a great place, and it's usually overrun with stuff. Nobody goes there unless they're absolutely looking for clay. And Scripture tells us, Scripture tells us that the Lord went to find that clay. He went into that swamp. The next slide tells us in Psalms, David says, He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure. The first step, the first step that we need to make is realize that there is no way out of that bog. There is no way out of that mud hole unless somebody comes in and helps us. Unless we have a savior. Unless somebody will reach out and draw us out of there. There is no way out. There is no way out. I don't know if you've ever, some of you might be in construction, but whenever a developer comes to a piece of uh, land, and he says, we're going to put some townhouses on here. They always call out this man that, that looks around at the land. His, uh, his, name's, or his profession is a geotech. He looks at the soil, and if there's clay or expanding clay there, he says, budget. Make sure that you double your budget because the amount of work it takes to get that clay out is astronomical. And in order for that person to see value in that property, he has to take all the work that is necessary to complete what he needs to do and say, is it worth it or is it not worth it? And today, the first step and the first thing that we need to talk about is if you have not placed your trust in a savior, if you've not found something and realized that I am not getting out on my own, the only place you will end up and the only place you will stay is in that swamp. That's it. There is no vessels in the swamp. There's no being used by God in the swamp. There is only the swamp. An eternal swamp. I think all of us know what that means. Death, separation, sin, and everything that entails. There is no way out without a savior. Without somebody that would climb into that mud hole with a shovel and dig us out. No. Oh, you got to go back to second day. Yeah. That is a cause for great joy for a potter. He looks at that pile and he says, yes. I don't know how many of you would go to the mall and say, hey, you know what? I'm just looking for something, and that's it. I don't think so. I wouldn't. I would say, who brought that into the house? I know my wife would. <laughs> she would say, are you kidding me? What is that? <clears throat> but to find good clay is a huge, huge find for a potter. He says, imagine the things that we can build out of this clay. Look at it. When I put it together in my hand, it holds form. If I was to cleanse this and clean it out, I could make something amazing out of this. 
And he's overjoyed, and he takes this, this piece of lump of, I don't know what that is. He takes it home, hopefully not into the kitchen. He takes it into his workshop, and he says, listen, he, he forms it into a, 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 like a tray, and he sets it out into the sun. And the sun works day in, day out on that pile of dirt and clay. Oh, that's a bit too close. Just a sec. And what happens is it becomes a big rock. If you've ever seen clay that's been under the sun, it becomes a solid rock. <clears throat> and what the potter does is he takes a big hammer and he starts just beating on this pile. He pulverizes it into a fine powder. He makes sure that there are no lumps left over. He will work at that clay as long as he needs to to make sure it is as fine as he can possibly make it. He pulls all the sticks and the rocks that he can see out of it. And then he does something that doesn't make much sense. It's the next slide. He floods it with water, copious amounts of water. He just pours and drenches this, this dust with water. And it looks just like slop. I mean, I don't know how much you would value that over the pile that was before it. But I think equally, we would say, you know, who, who needs that? Like, what are you going to do with that? It's just a bunch of slop. And you have to wear boots in there. You, you, you won't be in there other, any other way. And what he starts to do is he starts to mix it and mix it and mix it and make sure that every single bit of lump is liquid. And then he starts to take screens, which is the next slide. <clears throat> when it becomes liquid, it's one of those GIF things that just keeps going on and on. <laughs> He's working at it for a long time. And uh, he starts to change the screens finer and finer and finer. And he starts pulling out sand and all kinds of roots and everything else that's in that clay. He starts to pull it out and drain it out, and then he puts in a new screen that's finer and finer and finer until he's absolutely satisfied that that, I don't know what to call it, slop, is free of any, any contaminant. And then the next slide, what he does is he takes that, that liquid and he pours it into a special container, <clears throat> and he keeps pouring and pouring and pouring all day, if you watch it all day. <laughs> and he fills it up and he leaves it out in the sun, and it starts to evaporate slowly. And the water starts to evaporate slowly, which is the next slide. And it starts to take form, and you can start seeing the texture of the clay. <clears throat> and what he does then, when he, when he gets to a point, he takes a bit of it out, he molds it up, and then he starts to feel it, which is the next slide. And he needs to clean his nails, too. You know? <laughs> My daughter would say. <laughs> and what he does is he takes that, that piece of clay, and he balls it up. And he says, whoa, look, at that. look how thin I can make it. Look what I, what I can make out of this. is amazing. This is great clay. So why? I have a question for you. Why? Andre, can you slip to the next? Oh, right here. Okay, so the next, the next part is after he's able to pull it out of that container, he starts to knead it like dough. And he doesn't just knead it. He takes it and he slams it down onto the desk or whatever he's working, surface he's working on. He slams it as hard as he can, and what that does is it removes all the air pockets out of the clay, and he starts to soften any lumps that remain in it, and he makes it consistent so that it's all soft throughout, and all that water has reached in everywhere, and it's, it's made everything the same consistency. The next slide, Andre. So, now what I've attempted to do here is uh, give you both languages. Um, почему горшечник столько труда вкладывает в очищение глины? Why does the potter go through so much effort to cleanse the clay? I mean, you look at that clay, it's nothing pretty. 
It's a little bit prettier than the first pictures we saw. I mean, it's got the same color, no sticks sticking out. Or, but really, man, most of us wouldn't spend a lot of money on that lump of clay. We wouldn't. We'd say, well, okay, we can fiddle with it like plasticine, but not much value, right? <clears throat> so the value that the clay has is not in the clay itself. It's in the vessel. It's in what he wants to make. So when God looks at us as clay, he looks at us as clay and he says, you're clay. But what I can make of that clay is something to be spoken of. It's something that is amazing. And when it's being used, it, it will bring joy to me as the maker of it. And it will bring joy to everybody who touches it and uses it. If that clay is not cleansed enough, if it has air pockets in it or if it has some contamination in it, it won't hold a form. It may hold a little bit of form, but when you want to make it really nice and thin and you want to make something very delicate, it will not be able to hold that form. <clears throat> and when it goes into the kiln, because the temperature gets so hot in there, some of those uh, contaminants will, will, will start to react and move, and it can blow that it will explode, actually. That, that, that uh, vessel will explode, and it will damage everything else inside that kiln. <clears throat> it's absolutely necessary for that clay to be absolutely clean, clear of anything that's contaminating it. Our goal as clay is to be suitable for that wheel, is to be in a condition where the Lord will take that clay and say, okay, Let's make it. Let's do it. Let's start making something. <clears throat> we want to land on the potter's wheel. We want to become a vessel. But without this first series of things, we will never, ever land on the potter's wheel, ever. It's too dangerous. It's too dangerous for everything else around, and it will not lead to anything that is amazing or even worthy of speaking of. Next slide, please. So, вопрос. От кого зависит подготовление глины? От Бога или от нас? Whose responsibility is it to cleanse the clay, God's or mine? We've heard this question in different forms numerous times at this camp. And in the example that I've given you, the potter does all the work. He does. He screens, he beats, he does everything. He does absolutely everything. And the clay just sort of says, okay, but is that really the case? We heard uh, my brother Simon speak before us that it has a lot to do with us. It has a lot to do with us. In fact, we are key to preparing that clay. We are key to it. And I think a, a good clue to this is why do, some, why do potters have to work at some clay longer than others? Why are some people so easily fixed and in a condition where God can use them and other people it takes their entire life to get even close to being used by God. Next slide. So, how? <clears throat> the question of how. We've heard this over and over and over again. How do I go from where I am today to be ready for the wheel so that God can make a vessel to use? How? And there's a clue. What does the potter use to cleanse the clay? A hammer, obviously. He uses a hammer, he uses mechanical isolation, but the thing that he uses that purifies the clay the greatest is water. That's an eye. It's supposed to be an arrow, but somehow it didn't translate in the, <laughs> in the 
in the translation. Next slide, please. <clears throat> so water. What is water? Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us that water is the word of God. See that scripture? It says the washing of the water with the washing of water with the word. It's talking about the church. And it's talking about sanctification and cleansing the church through washing of water with the word. And there are lots of scriptures that we can find that tell us that <clears throat> water cleanses us. It cleanses us. And the potter knows this. That's why he puts so much water in. And he'll keep adding water because he knows water will get right down to every single particle of clay. It will penetrate every last particle and dissolve it. It will separate all of the inconsistencies in that clay and liquefy it. Next slide, please. This scripture is amazing. And it testifies to the power of the word of God. Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. <clears throat> so let's put some of these building blocks together. Water is the word of God. How many of you have your Bibles here today? Most of you, most of you. <clears throat> so if water is... The cleansing power, this is what moves and changes. Um, it gets us to the point where we can be used by God. It's something that has to be pretty important to us. The Word of God hasn't changed a bit. We heard Eric speak that the potency of the Word of God is the same Word of God that God used to say, let there be light, and light came about. He said, let there be this, and it came about. But why... Today, when I read this word or when we read the Bible, it does, why doesn't it have much effect on my life or the way I live my life? What's the problem? Because we think, you know, we read the Bible, it's going to cleanse us. We don't, it doesn't do anything. We read it, and a lot of times I think many of you have read through, read through, and read through, and we think, well, wait a second, something's not quite right. Something's not quite right. This is powerful. God created things with this. This is his word. He, this is the revelation of who God is. This is what it's supposed to move mountains. What's the problem? Why does God's word not have the same power in us today, in me today, I'll say? Next slide, please. How many of you can read that? This is an amazing statement, an amazing statement, something that goes to the core of who we are and how we live. <clears throat> it's great. Too bad you don't understand Polish. <clears throat> Let's try the next one. How about this one? So some of you know a Ukrainian. It's a powerful statement. It's a powerful statement. You have to know this statement. It's going to change your life. <clears throat> How many of you can understand it? Raise your hand. We've got lots of Ukrainians here. Good. How, about, uh, how many of you can't understand it? Well, it sucks to be you, eh? <laughs> Next slide, please. <clears throat> most of you should be able to read this, no? You guys have chai and you have siemichki, so most of you went to Russian school. And next slide, please. So this is something you guys can read easily and you can understand easily. There's only one person who dares wake up a king at 3 o'clock a.m. for a glass of water. It's a child. 
we have that kind of access to our king. That doesn't change your point of reference. I don't know what will. I don't know what will. But how many people read scripture like it's Polish? They don't understand. They don't understand what God is saying to them. Next slide, please. God speaks Bible. You speak Bible? That's the language God speaks in. He speaks to my heart, to your heart. This is his language. Rosetta Stone for you from God, right here. You can learn to hear God's voice. You can learn the language of God and be able to recognize his voice in an instant if you know the word of God. If it so fills you that anytime you're thinking or you're praying, God can bring a scripture to your mind. He can bring it right forefront to your mind. This is amazing what it will do to your life. It will change your life forever. And it is probably the single most important thing that a Christian at your age can do. Simon, my brother, said that uh, most of you guys, looking at you guys here, beautiful. У нас красивая молодежь. И как вы поете? I remember, like yesterday, and I, I don't know how to stress that. You guys will not understand that until someday you're standing in my spot. 20 years ago, I was here. 20 years ago, it went like, like this. Like this. <clears throat> and I wish, I wish I would have done some things differently when I was your age. Because life goes so, 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 so quickly. We have to do, we're, live differently now. We have to do things differently. Because we're a little bit ahead of you and we're reaping some of the mistakes. We have to stretch. We have to stretch before we play volleyball and after we play volleyball. And the next morning, <clears throat> and we have to watch what we eat. I mean, we have to watch what, as we eat, as we eat and uh, watch each other eat. <laughs> you guys don't have to worry about any of that. But life has a way of just slipping away, slipping away, slipping away, slipping away. And tomorrow, literally tomorrow, you'll be in your 30s. And then you'll hit 40 and you think, wow, that was quick. It's quick. You got gray hair and you're thinking, whoa, when did that happen? When? That's crazy. Because up here, I'm still 20. I'm still 20. But I look at how little, in the last 20 years, how little I've devoted to this, becoming this, and dropping down to making a foundation of how I live how different I could be right now if I would make that decision at your age. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. Next slide, please. If everything answers to the voice of God, storms, we read in Scripture, weather, everything, absolutely everything, we need to learn God's language like no time, especially in the age that we live today. We need to know it like the back of our hand, like our own voice. We need to learn it and we need to know it. Next slide, please. How serious are you about learning a new language? How serious are you? I know that many of you struggle with Russian. I know, or Ukrainian, or wherever you are. It's not easy. It's not easy to learn a new language. But if we don't learn the language of God, we will never, ever, ever, ever change. A little bit because we know the habits, we know what we should do and what we shouldn't do. But no truly deep-seating, rooted change will happen in our lives where God will say, now this is ready to make something amazing out of. The Bible tells us that we need to love, find a love 
for the pure milk. <clears throat> we need to find the love. That means we need to regularly, regularly read it. How many of you regularly read your Bible? I don't want you to all raise your hand. I know we all read our Bibles, and we know we're told over and over and over and over again to read our Bible. Today I want to open to you, if you don't know this trick already, or this, no, it's a trick, it's a principle. It's like that little pin that Yvonne came up with to help you climb, climb, climb. Get closer to that point where the potter will say, aha, finally, finally, finally we can get there. Next slide, please. for dinner that question Jesus what are you saying to me because when we read this Bible we read it and we read stories and there's some dry areas in here where you start reading when you read you know the plan the Bible plan and Isaiah some of the first parts and some of the Old Testament you read and it, it gets it gets a little bit tough to get through I think most of you can recognize that but God speaks to us every single time we turn our heart to him Every single time. When we're reading scripture and we're getting a little bit lost, we have to ask God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? You'll be amazed at how scripture will come alive. Your situation at work all of a sudden comes up in scripture and God is teaching you. You're starting to learn how God speaks, how God, his language, his voice, he will start speaking to you and you will be able to recognize it. If you guys can set your heart, purpose in your heart, to follow what he's going to say. The more you follow, the easier it is to hear. The more you follow, the easier it is to hear. If you reject God's voice once, two times, three times, it becomes harder and harder and harder to hear God's voice through scripture or otherwise. And a lot of times that happens. And what happens is we have dry spells because we refuse to do what God is telling us in our heart. We don't want to admit it all the time. We think, I will just skip to the next chapter. And God keeps returning us back like Jonah. Go back to where you started. Go back to where you fell off the wagon. Go back there and start there. And God will lead us over and over and over to every single lump and say, what about this lump? What about that lump? I need you to deal with this lump. We can't go any further until you've dealt with this lump. And we say, well, let's read something else. Well, let's do something else. We don't ask God, what are you saying to me? And what do I need to do today to land on that wheel? That's not central to what we read and why we read. And we don't really want to hear God's voice after a while. Because when God starts pounding at our life and he says, that lump's got to go, that's got to go, that's got to go, it's not a great place to be. But if we believe that God has a purpose for our life and that in the end, God will make something of us that we can't even understand, we can't even fathom. He has good intentions for us. We say God is good, not just on Wednesdays. He's good all the time. That's his nature. And what he wants to make of you is his perfect will, something perfect, something that afterwards you say, I had no idea. Had I seen the whole picture, I would have said yes a thousand times over. But sometimes we think that God is somehow cheating us out of something that we think is better. But if we can trust God and say, God, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, I'm going to do to land on that wheel. I want to see what you can do. I know that you are good, and I know that every purpose that you have in my life is amazing, and it's going to be amazing. Next slide, please. Now, this is a sobering thought. Many Christians, many Christians, never reach the potter's wheel. 
The clay of their hearts is not suitable for keeping shape because it contains so many lumps and impurities. And this is not only sobering, it's heart-wrenching. God wants to make a vessel of your life. He wants to use you in a way that you haven't dreamed of. And because we're not willing, we're not willing to take the Word of God and, and allow it to do its work, to go right into the heart of how we think, we remain that lump of clay that God will take out and He'll need it for a while, but He can't do much because we're not willing to go to those places where God is leading us. We're not willing to step back and say, I'm not going to decide to do this. I need to decide to do this. We don't desire to hear His voice. We take Scripture and we read it as though it's something that we need to do. We know it's good, but we don't ask God, what are you actually saying to me? What do I need to do today to land on that wheel? to become a vessel. What's in the way? Next slide, please. So, I want to do something <clears throat> with you right now. I want you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. Not because it's going to do something. It's just for you to concentrate. Because most of you are believers. Most of you are believers. I know this from talking to your youth pastors. And I want you to ask in your heart, well, God, what, what are you saying to me right now? We've heard so much already. We've heard a lot of things that um, have set, I've, I mean, most of you have heard Eric's sermon. I know that from the game today. And most of you remember everything that was said yesterday. I'm hoping that you remember something from today. I think, and in my heart, God is saying, if you would only concentrate on following me, have my words live within you and in your mind, I would cleanse you in no time. You'd be truly free, truly pure, and I could start making a vessel, something that would be amazing from your life. I'd do most of the heavy lifting. I would give you the power and the desire to do everything. If you would just turn your heart to those things that I lead you to and yield, say, God, whatever it takes, whatever I have to do, I will do to land on that wheel. If you would do this, you could discover the reason why you were made. You could discover why God made you the way you are. God made you with your weaknesses and strengths, just the way you are. He has a design for a vessel to be filled with the Spirit of God, to be used by God in an amazing way. While you have your eyes closed and your heads bowed, how many of you want to make a decision today to make that step? Say, God, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, I'm ready to do. I want to land on that wheel. I don't want to be that 60-year-old guy who's still struggling with some stupid thing in his life and he just can't get past. God's not using him. He's stuck in some basement or a girl, and God is not using him. I want to be the person that God is using. I want to be fruitful. I want to be in the hand of the master, ready to do every good work. If that's something that's on your heart and that God is saying to your heart, I want you to make a decision in your life today. I want to make you a decision to change your attitude, change your mindset to the word of God. I want you to realize that 
this language, this book, is the only way, the only way you will land on that wheel. If this fills you, changes you, and you allow it to yield, you allow it to, to enter every area of your life, every lump in your clay, and allow God to say, this needs to change. I will help you. Yes, Lord, whatever you want, whatever you want, I want to land on your wheel. I want to be used by you, and I want to be where you want me to be. That's the desire of your heart. Would you raise your hand? Because we want to pray for you. We want to pray for you today that this would cement in your heart and it would change the way you think and it would change the way you live from this day forward. We're going to pray. We're going to pray right now. And maybe somebody here is hearing these words and has never really given their heart to the Lord, never really stepped out and said, God, I need, I need out of the swamp. I need out of the swamp. I need you as a savior. There's no way I'll ever become a vessel unless you've saved me. I need you to save me. If that's something that you're screaming in your heart today, I want you to come forward. I want you to come forward and we want to pray with you. We want to <clears throat> support you. We want to pray with you. And we want to rejoice with you. That, that first step, that first step is the most important step to becoming a vessel of God. Something that God can use. And people will speak about the glory of God in our lives when God starts working in us. Is anybody like that? While everybody's um, in this, before we pray, I, I just invite you to come forward. I invite you to come forward. We want to pray with you. We want to, uh, we want to rejoice with you in that step. If not, let's, in an act of submission before, let's, let's kneel Преклоним колени, мы помолимся перед Господом. Слава Господу! I won't be long, don't worry. Я просто хочу прочитать Евангелие Иоанна, 15 глава, 1-3 стиха. John, chapter 15, first three verses. You'll have to put it up in English. Or is that off already? Okay, I have a Russian Bible. So, John chapter 15, first three verses. Я, got it, okay, good. Я истинная виноградная лоза, а отец мой виноградар. Это слова Иисуса Христа. These are the words of Jesus Christ. Всякой у меня ветвь, не приносящий плода, он отсекает. Всякой приносящий плод очищает, чтобы более принесла плода. Вы уже очищены через Слово, которое я проповедовал вам. You are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. These are the words of Jesus Christ. The word of God is powerful. I just wanted to emphasize that today. So that we understand, Christianity is amazing. What God does for us is amazing, if we want it. If we hunger and thirst, you will receive the blessing. But, just remember, narrow is the gate. Straight is the way 
There is no other way. There is no easy way. There's no different recipe. Only in Christ, only through Christ, and only allowing him to do what he needs to do in your life. May God bless you guys. You need to come down and conclude now. I hope that what you guys heard today will sink in. If I asked you guys today, who has lumps in their lives that need to be smashed and broken and torn out? How many of us would raise? Don't raise your hands. But answer, would you raise your hand? Say, Lord, I have one, two, three, ten, fifteen, many lumps. Can you break them out? May God bless you guys. I just want to say a really, really short thing. Um, the word that I was kind of saying, the first where we started, where we need to pre prepare our hearts, the soil, to encounter the word. If you look historically, and I'm not using America as an example because there's a lot of Americans here. America was labeled with a label as a nation, what is it? Isn't that amazing that we all know that? America was blessed because it was that nation. I'm going to use the word was. Take a look at America today. Has the word of God changed? Has somehow the word of God become less powerful? Has something happened to truth that has weakened it? And this is something that has to actually, I, I want you as youth to take a look at youth itself. We, old Greg uses gray, I'm losing my hair. And I look at myself and I'm like, what is happening? But when we look upon our kids, I have kids, they're consumed by things outside. They're absorbed with them. Time is being robbed from you. And we just blatantly let it go and let it pass by as if nothing's occurring. As parents, and I know there's parents here, they look at their kids and they're trying to somehow sever this connection that youth is drawn to. And they cannot escape it. I have kids. And I look at them and I just shudder. And I wonder, how can I show them what has been revealed to me? You struggle because I see my kids struggling. I know you struggle. And I'm trying to somehow find something that will wake you up and sever this connection that you have to the world. Look over there. There's some of you connected to your phones right now, skimming through them. You cannot for a moment just listen to words being spoken to you. Truth. Truth that you have this connection that is robbing you. And we refuse to let it go. Sometimes I try and put on these guidelines and borders, something to protect my kids and say, you know what, how about for a week, let go of these things that you engulf yourself with. And what happens? There's nothing to do. <laughs> nothing. 
And I look at them and I remember when I was a kid, we're running around, we're riding bikes, and I went outside and I have a street that's all new families, new kids all around us. And I want to ask you a question and you're going to know the answer to this. Guess what I saw on the street? Nobody. I don't see kids outside anymore. Where are they? They're inside their homes and they're connected to these things that are consuming their inner being. Are you consumed by these things? Are you able to sever this connection? Is it consuming your heart? Greg talked about you need something to enter your heart. In order to enter, there has to be an empty space there. If you're filling this empty space where it's overflowing with things that are consuming you, there's no room for the power of God. No room. And when somebody puts down guidelines and they take this thing away from you that is consuming and filling every crevice of your heart, is there a place for life-changing power? And there is not. I want you to ask yourself, as youth, are you being consumed? And what is consuming your life? What is consuming your life? Are you one of those kids that sits in your basement and is being connected to everything that seems so important? So important where every single day you're waiting for the next moment where you can get your fix. We talk about drugs. And yes, youth, it's surrounded all around us. America, God's nation, is no longer God's nation. There's darkness coming upon America. Take a look all around. States don't know what to do with drug addiction. Kids leaving their parents' home. And we as Christians, we say, we know God, I know you, Jesus. My life has changed. I want you to check your heart. Is there a place for the power of God? Is it empty enough to give it just a little bit of room? And if there's no place and you're connected and it's consuming you, this word over this weekend, I want you to think about that. Ponder on it. Meditate. I look at my kids and I wonder what can I do to stop it? How can I, what borders can I put in place for you? How can I save you? Some of you are so consumed and when we take it away, you're like, I have no life. I'm not connected to anything of worth. Can you believe it, your kids, and you're saying that? I am no longer connected to anything of worth. And then you get together and you're supposedly connected to each other, one with each other. And what do you do? How can this be fellowship? How is this what fellowship is? What is consuming your heart? I want you to ask you this question. Is there a place... Is there a place for the power of God? I want you to 
if you have a chance to kneel before your bed, if you don't have a place, if there's no room to allow this living water to go enter and begin to change something. I sometimes look, borders for you, if I put borders for you, will not separate you or sever you from these things that are consuming your life. And what Brother Simon said first, you need to choose to what? You separate yourself. I cannot separate you. God's calling you. He's saying this word that was built. Your country, these North America, they went to war to fight in the name of the Lord. What are you willing to fight for? What are your values? When you look at the future and your heart is being consumed and you're filling yourself, what is your future? I want you to take a look inside your heart. I don't need you to look at anybody and just ask yourself, Where do, where's the bulk of my time of my life? What am I filling my heart with? And if you're filling yourself continually connected to the world, under the name of Christ, the name of Christ. We have his name. Look at Christ. He was in this realm, disconnected from that realm fully, and then he was submitted to the Father fully. He is the epitome of what you must become. Here, we keep talking about one day, Jesus, I'm going to be there to praise you, to serve you, God's called us to serve him and praise him here. Not there. Yes, we're going to get there together. God willing that we're all together going to be filled with joy, serving him eternally, but victory and this which he fulfilled here must be fulfilled inside you. This is everything that God wants. And I want to ask you, do you see yourself on that path? truly on that path and that's the question i want to call you to stand let's pray and if your heart is being filled with things that are consuming your heart where there is no place for the power of god that a nation of god was built on and now is falling away where the power of god has no room it's being torn out of Every single public institution is being, the word of God is being ripped out of it. Satan wants to rip that out of you. Are you going to allow it? That's my question. Or are you going to allow God and his power to enter your vessel and consume you and change you eternally so that you are used and capable to change everything around you? He does it. He's doing it. And it's happening now. Are you part of that? If you're not, we're going to bow. We're going to pray. We're going to ask the Lord to make a place in my heart. I'm going to ask the Lord to make that room in my heart. I want you to ask the Lord. Jesus, make place in my heart so this word can enter and change my life forever. Let us pray. Jesus, we are your children. We carry your name.
You sent out the apostles with your name, Lord Jesus, and we carry that powerful name. It is a label upon us, Mark, a mark that you have placed upon us as Christians. We enter this realm, this world that is surrounded with corruption and darkness. With your name, your everlasting name, Lord Jesus. And we pray, Lord Jesus, if we're being consumed by the world, if we don't have place in our heart for the power that has never changed, that is your power that changes lives, tears them apart, and renews us, we pray, Lord Jesus, if I don't have that place in my heart, help me make that place this evening, tonight. Reach out to every single heart that is not consumed by you in the power in your word. Reach out with your word and your truth, with your hand, because you're not far from every single one of us here tonight. As we heard in your truth, you're not far from every single one of us here tonight. We know you are here, Jesus. And we pray if there's not, this gap is missing in my heart to make way, make this gap. Let this truth we've heard today, that is, let it rest on our heart. Let it enter the seed into our heart. And we just pray, let, it, let us meditate on it. I want to be that clay, Jesus. I, sometimes I demand that I won't be formed in this way and that way. I want to be used in this way and that way. And one of the biggest things that I received tonight is that I should submit and allow you being the master builder of that vessel to build me, Jesus. Build each and every vessel as you want them to be built, not as I choose, God. Not as I want, God. Not as I sometimes demand from you, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me, Jesus, if I demand from you something that is not in your will, Jesus, I repent. And I call upon your name. Free me of my pride. Free me of this guilt, for I am guilty, Lord Jesus. And I ask, I beg. I beg because you were submitted. You were the living God in flesh. And oh, you were in, in this body of weakness and you were fully submitted. And I ask, Lord Jesus, help me. Help me be fully submitted in you. Because you were submitted. Connect every heart here tonight. Let us remember tonight that we carry your righteous name, your powerful name, and that you died a painful death. You bore our shame. You bore my shame. Jesus, forgive us when we take this name and we fill ourselves with something that you would not want because this vessel is yours, Jesus. This temple, I am the temple that is yours. Let us submit this temple to you. And let us, if my temple is not cleansed and there's no room for you, Jesus, cleanse it. Help me cleanse it. Help me free up this vessel for you. And these next few days, God, do not let Satan steal the word that has been seated already. Let it work in. Let it work in, begin this work in us. So that these next days that follow, the power is not robbed from your truth because there's no room for it. Let us make room. And in all things, all things, Lord Jesus, we just pray, bring us together. Let us remember that the world is around us and it's robbing this nation 
from your, of your truth, robbing this nation of your power. Let us not allow it to rob the power of your truth when it comes in contact to us. Let it be fully empowered as it is, and let us accept it, fully truth that comes from you, ever-changing. And in all things, let us glorify you this evening and praise you and give thanks to you because you died for us and you purchased us. We are not our own. We are not our own God. We are yours. Let us be fully submitted and acknowledge that in all things. In the name of Jesus, in the name of the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, amen.